Red Dead Redemption was a truly remarkable game when it launched in May of 2010 to critical acclaim. Coming out of Rockstar San Diego, everyone expected something fairly significant and playable to come out of this release. However, nobody expected it to be the truly genre-defining title that it was. In fact, at first glance, there isn't anything truly remarkable about the game. Sure, it's an open world set in the Wild West. However, you are simply playing as a rough-and-tumble anti-hero going through the West hunting, killing, and completing missions, all in order to save his wife and son. None of this is truly remarkable, and indeed there were previous games that attempted to do these very things and did them very, very well, and so Red Dead Redemption was faced with quite the challenge. But certainly the most difficult and intimidating element of building this game lie with the world itself. The game is set in a fictionalized version of the Wild West in 1911 at the turn of technology as the West is slowly being infected with the New World. Farmers and ranchers who previously lived simple and fairly straightforward lives, simply farming and ranching, are now being forced to live what would be considered more sophisticated lives. With the advent of the railroad, telegrams, and even telephones, everything is getting more complicated, and they capture this quite perfectly in the opening scene. Instead of starting with a massive action sequence as Rockstar opened Grand Theft Auto V with, which would release roughly three years later, instead Rockstar decided to open the game with a quiet and fairly solemn train ride through the countryside. As the train chugs along, John Marston, the game's protagonist, simply sits back and observes all of the people around him. We can see various characters, some old, some young. We can even see Bonnie McFarlane, who will come up in the game a little bit later on. She's on this train as well. And most importantly, we see a young woman speaking with a priest. Now, I could try to summarize this conversation. However, I don't think it would do it justice and wouldn't follow through on the tone. So instead, I'm simply going to play it for you. You can observe and take in the dialogue as it goes through, and I'll meet you on the other side. Well, I, for one, am grateful, Mrs. Bush, that they are finally bringing civilization to this savage land. I could not agree with you more, my dear. My daddy settled this land, and I know he'll be looking down on us, pleased at how we help the natives. Yes, they've lost their land, but they've gained access to heaven. Father, do you mean unless an innocent receives communion, they're destined to go to hell? Uh, it hardly seems fair. Uh, what I mean to say, Jenny, is that there is a great deal of difference between an innocent and a savage. I never thought of it that way. Yes, they lived like animals, but they're happier now. <laughs> Not only do people now have motor cars, Father, but I heard that pretty soon we will be able to fly. No, only angels can fly, Jenny. No, no, apparently people can fly. Didn't you hear? Out in Kansas, a man even got a car to fly. <laughs> I hardly think so, Jenny. Apparently, Mr. Johns wants to run for governor which is why he's so concerned with cleaning up the state. Nate Johns 
Yes. His family is nothing but hillbilly trash that came here after the war. I don't want to be judgmental, but this state should not be ruled by such a disgusting family. A family without class. Apparently. But John's family have made a lot of money, and he has a lot of friends in politics. Mrs. Bush, money isn't everything. There are many things that money cannot buy. It seems that money can buy voters, though. What you must remember, my dear, is that we have been brought here to spread the word. And the word and civilization, they are the same thing. They are the gifts. It is the opportunity we have, the chance to live among people who are decent and who do not kill each other. And who let you worship in peace. Uh, it, it's so confusing, Father. Sometimes I find it impossible to make the distinction between a loving act and a hateful one. I mean, they often seem to be the same thing. Yes, Jenny, it, it is confusing. But you only have to ask me if you need help. Indeed. Well, here we are, Mrs. Bush. Armadillo. Now, while these two overlapping conversations might seem fairly benign and innocuous, they actually set the tone and the themes for the entire game moving forward. The two ladies sitting behind John are talking about class and political corruption, something which is going to become very important in the second half of the game's narrative. And on the other side of the coin, we have the priest and the young girl discussing savagery and the conversion of the native peoples to not just modern faiths, but also to the Western way of life, or in this case, perhaps the Eastern way of life, a more civilized or classy way of existing. And that, of course, sets the theme for the game as we move forward, because the Wild West is caught in this very formative time between the old Wild West of before and the new electricity-ridden world of the East. While the standard of living and technological achievements are certainly there and verifiable and significant, it does beg the question that many of the characters in the game are going to be asking, which is whether or not it's worth sacrificing the way of life that these people have been experiencing and practicing for, at this point, decades upon decades, all for the sake of moving forward and quote-unquote progress. Bonnie McFarlane, a character who's also on the train for undisclosed reasons, but she's there, sort of a foreshadowing of what's to come, she does later on discuss all of this in fair amounts of detail. Being a country girl, she doesn't see the need for all of these city slickers to come in and tell them how they should be living their lives. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, basically. Now, the game doesn't push you to make any sort of major moral decisions or force you to get involved in the political schemes and decide the fates of all of these people, as you would expect with, for instance, a major RPG set in this time period. Instead, we look at these characters and we're forced to sympathize, and they do a very good job of pushing us to feel those emotions 
in a very natural way. Now going back and playing through Red Dead Redemption once more for this video, I didn't really remember all of the detail and the deep dialogue that goes on while you're simply riding through the world or having a casual conversation with somebody while going through a side quest. It really struck me as pretty phenomenal. And this, of course, has always been the curse of these major open-world video games, is that people think that you can play through them with the sound turned off, simply mindlessly going through the world, killing people, doing missions, collecting various items, and you can do that, and you will have a good time. However, if you're looking to truly experience the world that the developer has built and the writers have crafted, you really do have to approach it in a much more solemn and respectful way. Now, of course, this is a critique of Red Dead Redemption, and with these types of critiques, it's always interesting because it gives me a chance to go back and play through a game that has either been forgotten or simply is not easily accessible in the modern day with the fact being that this is an Xbox 360 title that was never ported to the PC so it's not exactly easy to play unless you're doing it through Xbox One backwards compatibility but regardless it is still an older generation title. Now playing through Red Dead Redemption has been very interesting for me for a variety of reasons. First of all, this is a 2010 Rockstar published and developed title coming out just before the Rockstar published, though not developed, title L.A. Noir, which is one of my favorite games of all time, even though I couldn't really tell you why. The reason that this is always interesting is because it's just like playing an older version of Assassin's Creed with the modern context of a newer release. So going back and playing through Assassin's Creed Rogue, for instance, after playing Origins, can be a bit of a shock to the system because of course the developers that create these games have steadily been making improvements, as you would expect, with subsequent releases. That being said, Red Dead Redemption is actually, even in 2018, a phenomenal title, very well polished, and still feels good to play, to be completely honest. The gunplay is alright, the horse riding mechanics work and are perfectly functional, the overall structure of the world and the gameplay loop is fairly straightforward and very, very open. However, the real star of the show is the world itself and the characters you encounter as you go through the main story. Story. Now with all of that said, I do want to say that this video is entirely intended to basically look back at a game that is for many people uh, the game of the generation, or at least one of the two top games of the PS3 and Xbox 360 generation of consoles, and I want to look back, I want to appreciate it, and more importantly I want to contrast what they were able to do with this in preparation for Red Dead Redemption 2, which needless to say many people are very excited about. By looking at Red Dead Redemption, we can look at some of the things that Rockstar used to do and some of the things that they could potentially improve upon for this upcoming title. We're going to be breaking down the narrative in a little bit more detail. We're going to look at the gameplay, how it works, why it works, and if it could be improved in a potential sequel. And also we're going to look in general at how the game is structured and how it could be improved upon within a sequel. So with the longest intro I've ever done completed, let's get into it. Now as I previously stated, Red Dead Redemption attempts to approach some fairly lofty topics while still giving you the feeling of exploring a massive open world in the Wild West and being a cowboy running through it doing as you wish. 
Now, narratively speaking, you are not given very much freedom. It's very, very strict in terms of the progression of the main story. However, there are often two or three main quests that you can pursue at any given moment, and you have the freedom to choose between which one you want to go to at a particular moment. So if you feel like going and pretending to be a salesman for a particular type of elixir, you can do that. But if you aren't feeling that, then you can go help a necrophiliac dig up some holes. Now, this is actually the same exact story and questing structure that was used in Grand Theft Auto V, although Grand Theft Auto V, of course, had three main protagonists that you could swap between at almost any given moment, and each character had their own quests that were color-coded. This, of course, is much more complex than what Red Dead Redemption attempted to do, but at its core, it's the same exact system. Now, the main story is fairly straightforward. You're playing as John Marston, a former outlaw, now turned loving husband and father, who is trying to save his wife and son after they've basically been held hostage by the government and they're doing this in exchange for John Marston's services in cleaning up members of Marston's former gang. Now, this isn't very clearly stated, especially at the start of the game. It becomes more clear uh, after maybe three, four hours in, after John Marston opens up a little bit more. However, it's not really important, and part of the allure of John Marston is the fact that he is so uh, on the DL about everything he's doing. He doesn't feel as though he needs to explain himself. He's simply trying to do what he's trying to do in an honorable way, and get through life as best he can. And that's part of what's uh, intriguing about him is that he's not your average video game protagonist. Now, this is something that Rockstar in general is very, very good at doing in their game writing. One of the telltale signs of a novice writer is overwriting. The idea that because you're putting a character on screen, you have to explain absolutely everything about who they are and what they're doing. When in actuality, most of the great stories told throughout history do not exaggerate or explain to a great extent every intricacy of an individual's life. Instead, they leave a lot of it to the imagination. After the all, the imagination is much more capable of filling in the gaps than a writer is. And they also leave a lot of it to be told later on after the player or audience member is uh, intrigued and has bought into this world. Now, I'm not gonna lie to you and tell you that the writing is always stellar. There are a few moments when I feel like there are missed opportunities. For instance, there's a quest roughly four or five hours in the game, depending on how much time you spend doing side quests where Bonnie McFarlane is kidnapped and is taken away to an abandoned town called Tumbleweed where she is seemingly being held for ransom only to be killed. Now, it's very clear and very, very heavily implied that the individuals who kidnapped her were also doing very violent things to her, potentially even raping her. However, when you save her, she simply rattles off a witty line and then you don't hear from her. She's basically sent back to the farm and you are sent on other main story questing missions. I really feel as though there 
there was an opportunity here to double down and perhaps get into some really dark subject matter where John Marston has the opportunity to go and pursue perhaps the person that kidnapped her in the first place and uh, get much more emotionally involved in the quest. Whereas in this quest as it stands, pretty much just involves you going through using the gunslinger uh, ability to quickly headshot a bunch of people and then watch a cutscene. There's a lot of missed opportunities like this throughout the game that's a little unfortunate. Similarly, there's a character named Seth, who's a necrophiliac and grave robber that you meet and interact with in the beginning sections of the game. And the entire idea is that he's robbing these graves looking for a map to pursue the treasure that he believes is going to be somewhere fairly nearby. However, after you find this treasure, it simply turns out to be a glass eye, which was certainly very highly treasured by the owner of that eye back when the owner was using it. However, for Seth, it obviously has no uh, value whatsoever, and so he's devastated. However, there isn't really anything else to this. Seth is just devastated, and then he moves on and is used in the next quest when you storm Fort Mercer, and that's about it. The character is never really developed past that, which is truly unfortunate. Now, because I can foresee the pedantic comic correcting me, I do want to say that this was thought through by Rockstar. You can actually encounter a newspaper from 1914 that explains that Seth hauled, quote, a big sack of valuable jewels and gold into Blackwater that he found in some location within tall trees an area of the game's map he then returned to his family they all got back together and he reopened his business in Blackwater that he briefly mentions to John Marston so clearly the writers thought this through and had some idea of what was going to happen however we never get to see it it's simply unmentioned after he helps you get into Fort Mercer Seth simply disappears and that's it it would have been so funny to simply encounter Seth Seth later in the game with uh, wearing super fancy clothes and gold teeth and slicked back hair, totally unrecognizable because he found the treasure and got his life back together. It would have been so cool to see that, but it was simply a missed opportunity. Now as for the broad strokes narrative, there isn't a whole lot to say. The story is fairly straightforward and contains various twists and turns to get you in all different areas of the game's map, and it works fairly well. After all, I don't think that the main story is necessarily what's important, it's the characters you encounter as you go through it. Characters such as Bonnie and Seth, Mr. McFarlane, the marshal from the town, all of these characters are important and build up a very believable world. The quest and things that you are doing as you go through and interact with these characters doesn't do a whole lot. It's the people that frame it that are important. Now, the last major thing I want to touch on with the main story and the, the narrative in general is definitely the idea of stereotypes in general. We're playing through the Wild West, and there's going to be a lot of stereotypes built up that do make recurring appearances as we go through. Now, this was something that the game was criticized for near launch. However, I don't see much credit to it. Basically, the accusation was that the game wasn't incredibly accurate and more followed uh, what Hollywood has established the Wild West to be instead of what the Wild West actually was. And this is something that, you know, in general, party poopers tend to bring up, that the Wild West wasn't 
quite like it is in the movies, but of course it wouldn't be. But that's not the point. The point is to give a Wild West adventure to the player that they can go through and experience in their own way. It's not meant to be historically accurate. It's not meant to adhere to every single little element of reality that this world would have given. After all, the world itself that we are exploring is a fictionalized version of what is effectively Texas and Mexico shrunken down to a much smaller scale. It's not meant to be realistic, and so the idea that stereotypes inherently are a bad thing really doesn't bear much weight, at least for me. And if you're somebody who does think that stereotypes are a net negative, I would ask you simply to explain why. I'd love to read the comment down below if you have it. My simple argument would simply be that really stereotypes are not inherently bad. Usually they are based on some element of truth. Otherwise they would not be stereotypes. And from there you get a at least somewhat realistic perception of reality that's based on that stereotype. And at the very least it's better than nothing. Now, as for other narrative elements within the game, there isn't a whole lot to be addressed. When we're looking at Red Dead Redemption in general, we're looking at main quests, the overarching narrative and structure of the world that we are exploring, and maybe occasional uh, dynamic encounters that you come across throughout the world. However, these more act as coding and context for the world in general rather than strict narratives as we go through. Of course, you can encounter uh, a woman screaming by a wagon calling for help. You stop to help her and then you're assaulted by a gang that paid her off. That is technically a narrative point. However, I don't think it's significant enough to analyze in any great detail. However, I would say that they do a great job of sprinkling all of these smaller encounters throughout the world to make you feel as though it is living and breathing. You don't need many of these, but if you are just riding through the side of a, a countryside and then you encounter some crazy lady who's waiting for her husband to show up for their wedding day, only to find out once you return to Armadillo that that lady actually is waiting for a man who's been dead for 20 years, that is something that hits you much more poignantly than if you were to encounter that in a main quest, because it happened on your terms as you explored the world, which is something that I think should be applauded. But with all of this said, let's move on to the gameplay. Now when we're discussing a game such as Red Dead Redemption, it's always a little difficult to break down the gameplay because everything it covers is so vast. This is something Rockstar is known for. They don't simply give you one gameplay loop, but instead give you many different things that you can do independently of each other, including all sorts of mini games, side activities, hunting, inventory management, all of these things build together and you will get out of them what you put in. Now this certainly is no RPG, however there are multiple ways that you can approach it, especially in terms of gunplay, where you can use different weapons, shotguns, uh, rifles, you can use your lasso, or be a melee character. You can play it pretty much however you want to, and certain playstyles will be better fits for certain circumstances, which is pretty cool. Now on the topic of gunplay, we have to mention the auto lock-on mechanic, which is enabled by default. It's something that some people absolutely love, and some people absolutely hate, and can't stand it, and therefore turn it off. And effectively what it is, is if your viewfinder is in roughly the same location on screen as an opponent, and you go to scope the weapon, it will automatically snap to that enemy character, 
making each of those shots a little bit easier. And this is something that makes all of the fast-paced chase sequences much easier to manage, especially with fast-moving targets. Now normally I would be against these sort of aim assist bots because they tend to dumb down the experience to the point where no finesse or effort is involved. However, the issue with Red Dead Redemption's gunplay is that it was built and designed around this mechanic being enabled, which is a real issue. Now because the developers knew that players were going to have access to this auto-aim bot, they designed the gameplay and these fight sequences around the player using that aim assist mechanic. And that's a real issue because if you are trying to play the game in a very straightforward and more hardcore way, turning off that auto lock-on mechanic, you're going to have an experience that the developers simply didn't intend. Now there aren't any elaborate behind the scenes documentaries for the making of Red Dead Redemption 2, but normally when a mechanic like this is implemented into a game, it's a result of the gameplay being structured in this way first and foremost, and the playtesters realizing it's too difficult, and so they implement this mechanic to balance it out and make it more approachable for the average player. Now is this what happened? Did they build these fast-paced action sequences only later to add in this auto-aim bot? Well, perhaps, but of course this was a mechanic that Rockstar later used in GTA 5 to help with auto-aiming, but once again, that was a very fast-paced game in and of itself. And so it could be argued that this is simply a way that Rockstar allows players to approach their games much more simply and uh, get through these larger sequences much faster, which I don't think is inherently a bad thing, to be honest. After all, Red Dead Redemption is a third-person action open-world shooter sandbox game. That's a mouthful, I know, but that's what it is. As a result of this, the game just naturally is not going to be capable of truly immersive gameplay in the same way that a first-person shooter could be. Now, I always go back to the idea of intention on the developer's part when we're analyzing gameplay mechanics such as these, because we have to ask ourselves, what was the developer trying to do? Were they trying to make a difficult game and then it ended up being so difficult in these fast-paced sequences that nobody could play it and so they had to dial it back? Or was it on the other side? Was it their attempt to create a more accessible game that was easier to play for the average consumer, but the option was there if you wanted a more difficult way of playing it. It seems like a small distinction, but it's very important because it breaks down how the rest of the game works. Now my personal opinion based on how the rest of the game is structured and Rockstar's other franchises that released before and after Red Dead Redemption, my opinion would be the latter. I think they were trying to create an approachable game, structure it in a way that was easy for most people to wrap their heads around and to get used to and kept the gameplay moving forward so that you felt like an action hero in a Wild West setting. And this isn't just off the dome, this is actually based on the sharpshooter mechanic which is also in the game, which basically acts as a mini vats, if you want to think about it that way, for 
Red Dead Redemption's already clunky gameplay, which that is one of those things in Fallout that I've always been frustrated with because in general it seems to be uh, sort of this overcompensation for clunky gameplay to begin with, and it sort of is self-correcting because it gives you the option to pause the action and just get zeroed in on your shots, which I understand why it exists and why some people love it, but to me it seems born out of a clunky gameplay to begin with and in this regard i think the sharpshooting mechanic in red dead redemption is very very similar it does make you feel super powerful it does make you feel super cool but fundamentally it removes all of the difficulty and challenge in the game when I get swarmed by a gang of thugs that are all coming at me, instead of having to carefully hide behind cover and evaluate my surroundings, slowly picking them off one by one, I can instead just hold down the left trigger, tap down the right stick, and then all of a sudden I just hover over each character's head and then pull the right trigger. And then all of a sudden I rattle off six rounds, headshotting every single person, and the game continues as normal. It's fun in that very small instance and it's satisfying but fundamentally it's not as satisfying as being thrown into the lion's den being forced to miraculously find a way out of it it's a personal preference i grant you but i think it's fairly warranted i'd love to hear your thoughts on this down below perhaps i'm wrong let me know now besides clunky gunplay, there are many other gameplay elements built into Red Dead Redemption that you can either take or leave, including such things as hunting, skinning various animals, all the way to farming mini-games, especially front-loaded at the beginning of the game where you're expected to round up herds of cattle and prevent them from running off cliffs, which is actually kind of cool. Now each of these have their own level of polish, for instance the hunting mechanic is actually both polished and not polished at the same time. It has small details like based on where you actually shoot the animal, if it's a particular species or type of animal, and you sell it in another area of the game's map, you can actually get more money for that particular item because it's more rare in the area you are selling it, which is something that I wouldn't have even really thought to put in the game, but it's a nice detail. However, it's not as fleshed out because you don't have to factor in anywhere near as many factors that you would expect in a hunting mini game, such as where the bullet enters the body of the animal, how you damage the pelt, the quality of each individual animal that you're hunting. All of these things would normally feed into it, but instead in Red Dead Redemption, we're simply faced with when you shoot an animal you can skin them and then you get the skin of the animal and perhaps some meat as well all of them have the same and equal value regardless of how you hunted them in the first place as for things like the ranching mechanics, they're very, very shallow and don't have much polish at all and simply are used in some main story quest missions and occasionally some side quests that you can stumble into later on they're actually incredibly clunky and more frustrating than fun. I understand that the developers felt like they needed to give the player some sense of ranching in the Wild West. After all, we're on a ranch and we are wearing a cowboy hat. What else is there to do? But at the end of the day, it was just more frustrating than at least I think it was worth. 
Now before going any further, I feel like I should take this moment to get something out there that may or may not be obvious to you, the viewer, so I just want to put it out there. It seems as though throughout most of this video and critique, I've been simply criticizing all of the elements of this phenomenal game, and that may seem unfair because I'm not mentioning all of the things that the game does phenomenally well, but I'm doing that very intentionally because after all, we're talking about a game that is fundamentally the game of a generation, one of the best game and most universally adored games that released in the last 10 plus years. And so to sing its praises wouldn't be interesting or different. My job in this type of video is, as you would expect from a critique, to critique it and to point out the things that could have been done better. And the fact that I'm having to stretch this thin to find issues with the game, I think says something pretty significant. Because when we do this for a game like L.A. Noir, also published by Rockstar, there are many more issues with it. Red Dead Redemption's gameplay holds up even when contrasted and compared to modern open world titles. Now, of course, no open world title has really approached and attempted to cover the subject material and do the things that Red Dead Redemption attempted to do and succeeded in doing. But regardless, the gameplay is still significantly phenomenal. It's fantastic. And the fact that this is coming off of a game that released in 2010 is remarkable. Now, with all of that said, let's move on and discuss Red Dead Redemption's impact on the industry, its legacy on the whole, and also, of course, what its sequel, Red Dead Redemption 2, is going to have to do to take it to the next level. Now, when Red Dead Redemption launched in 2010, it was met with critical acclaim and won many Game of the Year awards, and I'm sure I don't have to tell you, it is beloved by many. And this posed a really interesting challenge to Rockstar, who for years was saying that Red Dead Redemption was a franchise near and dear to their hearts, and they had plans for it but weren't ready to talk about them, only to release a surprise trailer and announcement that Red Dead Redemption 2 was in production and would be coming soon. And now, as we can see, with the release of the game fast approaching, there's a lot to live up to. Now, if any company is capable of living up to the hype, it is Rockstar. They seem uniquely qualified and are one of the very few gaming developers and publishers who time and time again exceed expectations when it comes to sequels. Now some would say this has to do with the marketing strategy, the fact that they delay their games multiple times after announcement, which tends to tamper down the hype that gets built up so out of control with other titles. It of course also has to do with the game's design, the fact that they're releasing solid and very well-polished games, so nobody has many reasons to criticize the game at all. There's a lot that goes into it, but with Red Dead Redemption 2, there's going to be quite a lot done. Now, one of the things that made Red Dead Redemption so unique was its story, its anti-hero in John Marston and the world that they built. It was very uniquely and precisely placed in the year of 1911 during this very pivotal moment in American history and the characters in the world are just as frustrated and yet hopeful as you would expect them to be. Now, Red Dead Redemption 2, from what we know so far, is set in the years before Red Dead Redemption, actually as a prequel, giving us a look at Dutch's gang, the very same gang that John Marston ran with. 
Now this could be potentially a very, very good thing or a potentially major issue with the sequel because it is a prequel. We're looking at the age of the wild, wild west before all of this new technology came into the world when the west truly was completely untamed. Now, that could fulfill the wishes of many individuals who wanted that type of experience from Red Dead Redemption in the first place. However, it also could lose some of the charm that we found in Red Dead Redemption with its characters being faced with this ever-changing world. Now, there are, of course, many other elements to the game's design which will be enhanced with a modern title, such as improved gunplay, improved graphics, the scope will be much larger and more vast and expansive compared to what they did in this original game. Everything will be taken up a notch, which is something you can always rely on Rockstar to do. However, it's all about managing scope and expectation. A game can vastly improve the scope and improve the graphics, the gameplay, everything can be improved, but if you are expecting too much, then things get completely out of hand and out of whack, and you will be disappointed. It's simply a matter of when and to what degree. Now, because of this, in this video, I don't want to go into a lot of rumors or speculation because I don't see the benefit, to be completely honest. I think it actually does more harm than good. And at the end of the day, if you're watching this video in six months or a year after the game has launched, it would just be a waste of everybody's time because most of that probably wouldn't actually end up being true. So I'm not going to get into that. Uh, if you were hoping I would, I'm, I'm sorry. There are other channels that will. I'm just not one of them. Now, the last thing I want to touch on in this section is Rockstar and porting Red Dead in general to PC. As you, of course, know, by this point in the video, Rockstar never brought Red Dead Redemption to the PC at all. It simply never happened, and there were never any clear statements or reasons given. It just didn't happen. And as of right now, Red Dead Redemption 2 has been announced and given a firm release date on consoles, but there has been no firm uh, confirmed release date for PC. It's not even clear whether or not it will ever uh, be ported to PC at all. It's, it's very, very bizarre. And there's been a lot of reasons thrown around as to why this is. It looks as though in 2010, back when the game released on PS3 and Xbox One, those systems had custom architectures which simply were not very compatible with PCs. So when you developed a game primarily for consoles and tried to port it to PC instead of the other way around, Around, it was a much more difficult experience for the developer. It just wasn't a good time and it wasn't easy and the performance wasn't there and they would basically end up having to recode the whole thing. Now, is that true? I can't really speak to that, to be completely honest. I don't know enough about coding these types of games to give an informed opinion on that. But what I can say is that the PS4 and Xbox One use the same x86 64-bit uh, instruction set basically as modern day PCs. And so in theory, porting a game that was developed for the PS4 and Xbox One to the PC should be much easier in 2018 than it was in 2010. That's just in theory and whether or not they will do it, I'm sure will be up to them. I don't see why they wouldn't, but again, I didn't see why they wouldn't do it for Red Dead Redemption originally, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see.
Either way, it's very, very likely that if Red Dead Redemption 2 ever gets a PC release date, it will be sometime uh, after the initial game's release, uh, potentially up to a year or more after the game's fall release in 2018. And that is something that is uh, very reminiscent of what happened with Grand Theft Auto V, where the game released in 2013, and then later on a PC port came after the game was released and met with critical acclaim. At the end of the day, it's something I'm hopeful for, but I'm not holding my breath. And if I were you and you're waiting for this game, but you're gonna hold out for PC, I personally would just bite the bullet, get the game on console, and if it eventually comes to PC, go for it. But don't hold your breath because Rockstar, as of right now, has no plans to do so officially, and it's always better safe than sorry. Now that brings us to our conclusion. Red Dead Redemption was a game that nobody really expected to be a smash hit, but it came along and blew everyone away with its unique setting, the witty and interesting characters, and fast-paced and fun gameplay, even if it was easier than a masochist might like. It was a game that was phenomenal when it launched in 2010, and still in 2018, while preparing for its sequel, is a blast to play, and I can't recommend it highly enough. But after all, that is just my opinion. Those are my two cents, take them or leave them. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on the game and everything discussed in this video down below. I will read all of the comments. You have my word, that's my commitment to you. You watch a long video, the least I can do is read your comment down below. So please go ahead and leave those. Also make sure to follow me on Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook to get notified of all new content, to get sneak peeks and all sorts of fun details like that. And to also keep an eye out for the merch store which will be coming very soon and as always i have to put the obligatory patreon plug in the video as much as it irks me these videos take a long time to produce this one took weeks of work and so if you enjoyed what you saw and want to see this treatment given to other games first of all let me know what games you'd like to see these videos done on down below but also consider supporting me on patreon because it does make it so that i can make these videos that is what funds the content you see here and i couldn't do it without people like you supporting me. But with all that said, thank you for watching, one and all. I love each and every single one of you more than you could possibly know, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.